and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and the best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week I bring a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. I'm so careful about putting things into my body these days. And this is the only CBD company I've come to trust with my wellness. They are organically farmed, gluten-free, and have absolutely zero THC in their products. It's just a clean CBD to help you ditch your stress, sleep better, and soothe anxiety. My absolute favorite product of theirs is the orange cream gummies. They also have raspberry and strawberry, which are really good. And after about two weeks of having one gummy every single evening with CBD in it to treat my little sweet tooth with a dessert, I can't help but notice that my sleep has drastically improved every single night. I actually wear a ring to measure my sleep and it's just undeniable what these little gummy friends have done for me. And without THC, you're just getting the calming effects of the CBD plant, none of the high, which is why they are so safe to take. They each come in 10 milligrams or 25 milligram doses of CBD to calm you down from the day in the sweetest and tastiest of ways. And the best thing about them is that they don't taste at all like CBD. I once tried another CBD gummy bear from another company and it was like, whoa, it tasted like I was eating a skunk wrapped in marijuana and sugar. So anyway... I've come to love these little gummies from Soul CBD, and as a way to love myself, to use whatever resources exist in the world that help me be more well as a human, these are so one of them. So our friends at Soul CBD have given us a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to ashleystahl.com slash soul. It's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L dot com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use the U-Turn code at checkout. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N at checkout. Now let's get in to this week's episode. A lot of the time we think about connecting to our sensuality or sexuality for a partner. And of course we do because we want to have that space with them. But what people often miss is cultivating it with yourself in a place that feels safe and in a way where it's innocent. It's not dependent on, um, you know, how you show up. It's not dependent on you performing in a certain way. Again, that's the masculine kind of version of looking at things. It's much more in the sense of like, am I experiencing pleasure? What's going on, U-Turners? It's Ash here, and we have such a treat for you in the love category. I know that A lot of the love episodes have been about how to find the one or how to be a better partner or how to have deeper love. And sometimes it gets really tempting to love so many people and seek out love so much that we forget to love ourselves. And I know that I could have totally put this episode in the work category today because a lot of you are trying to be productive, uh, as productive as possible. And maybe you're like me where you have some tendencies to want to overachieve. 
And it's so important that in those moments, we look at where we're coming from and check in with ourselves so that we're not achieving at the expense of our well-being. So this episode, we're going to bring Jessica Benstock on and we're going to talk about how to love yourself um, and also be productive so that you're not just going into that addictive productivity. And that for those of you who don't know, she is an integrative therapeutic mentor. She's a trauma healer and she has a specialty in authentic feminine sexuality and intimacy. I'm going to ask her so many questions about feminine productivity is what she calls it versus masculine productivity. There's so much here. Um, Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. It's definitely really exciting too. I've done so much work kind of in the background, like I've been training for 10 years. So to be able to, I feel like I'm just birthing out into the world. So I really appreciate um, being able to talk to women like you and doing the work that you're doing in the world too. Yeah, we had my friend, another Jessica, her name's Jessica Winterstern on, and she's kind of reminds me of you in the sense where she does a lot of like feminine sexuality work, but she's been kind of like pregnant with her business and like her work for like 10 years and is just kind of coming out into the world now too. So I have a lot of respect for the fact that some people like take their time to like really know something. And I think that's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, so what got you so devoted to this topic of feminine productivity, masculine productivity, and just like sensuality and well-being in general? So one of the things that has been really, really um you know, central in my focus and my own personal work has been working with my own connection to my sexuality. And as far as, you know, going, going back and doing a lot of interpersonal development work, as well as learning to support other people in their interpersonal development work a lot behind the scenes. Um, one of the things that I found was one, I was working with women a lot and two, I obviously am a woman. And so often one of the key core components would be around sexuality and not just sexuality, but sensuality around being in your body, around just being able to relax and let go and surrender. And at the same time, you know, I I study a lot of what could be looked at as Eastern, so Chinese medicine principles, even though I'm not an acupuncturist, but they really study the way that the energy works and the natural intelligence that we're created from. Um, and they, they really design, you know, they, they study the design that's already here and then Mm -hmm. they learn from that design as if it's the most intelligent thing. Um, and so from that, there's these different principles of what they would call yin and yang or masculine and feminine. And one of the things that I started to notice was that we're not just, not just men, but men and women, are living in a culture that's hyper masculine in the way that it expresses. So being like very, very dominant in its expression, overcoming, like using your will to um, just really overcome any kind of signals from the body and any kind of pain, push through, persevere. Um, And these are qualities that we really need. But when you look at our culture at this time, they're also qualities that we are you know, we're so polarized towards that we're actually really creating a imbalance mm-hmm. um, in the way that, you know, really in the way that we are experiencing quality of life. Um, and a big part of that, you know, in, in these sciences of these more ancient, what you could call spiritual, but they're, they're very much sciences um, of medicine, as well as, you know, spiritual kind of practices, they know about balance 
and we all know like the yin yang symbol, like it's, it's about balance. Um, but they really look at the balance of life and the balance of these forces playing out in life. And if things are unbalanced, that's when things get unhealthy in the mm. mind and the body and the emotions in relationships and the quality of your inspiration. And so for me, it was really coming from a Western mind, you know, very, you know, I grew up in California, I've very much been steeped in this culture since I was born and learning all of these Eastern traditions, doing so many practices, being able to see and recognize, ah, oh, there's patterns playing out and seeing in my own self, the imbalances and what that's led to in my life really allowed me to look at the people I was working with in a way where I could start to see this imbalance happening way more, I think more globally at this point, because the Western mind is very much not just in the US now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I just saw it, you know, it's like, until you see a pattern, you can't really see it and how it's yeah. everywhere. But as soon as you see it, you're like, oh my God, this is rampant. So that's really yeah. where the fascination started. Yeah. It's like, you don't know what you don't know and you can't see what you don't see until you see it or know it. And it's like, once you see or know something, it's like, sometimes all you can see, it makes so much sense. And, mm-hmm. you know, just to like almost pop this off as like probably your ideal client in one way or another, just in my own life, like it can be so easy. I think for anybody to relate to just having a lot on your plate and like being exhausted and feeling like, okay, like this is a season. And I think a lot of people, um, they have so much to their identity and like, it's like, Oh, I don't want to be the person who takes a break. Like I can't take a break, but it's like life happens in so many seasons. And so I would love to hear your feedback or your wisdom on somebody like me, who's like exhausted, working really hard, has a lot going on. And it's pretty tough to feel like connected to my body. You know, one of the things I would say first and foremost is, um, are you someone that's working in long stints of time? So like when you sit down to work, it's you gear into a mode, right? That That's a mode. And when you're in that mode, it can feel really good, especially towards the beginning of the day, you know, when it's fresh and the adrenaline's up and you're going to be productive. But then do you ever really give yourself breaks from that mode that are significant breaks? It doesn't, significant doesn't necessarily mean time, but it mm-hmm. means you're really disengaged from it for chunks of time throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I feel like when you think about chunks of time and like productivity, so let's say somebody right now is working really hard and they're feeling totally burnt out. I know that nobody is a one size fits all, but do you have like a recommendation of what it looks like to focus like through that feminine and masculine lens that we can get more into balance, get things done, but also like reconnect to our bodies? Yeah, definitely. So one of the things is really recognizing that, you know, we, again, like first and foremost, being able to objectify that when we start to work, we go into a mode. And if you can kind of feel what your mode is when you click in, when you're going to get stuff done, a lot of the time it has to do with conquering or this feeling of overcoming or dominating or doing. And again, it can feel really good. But having times throughout the day, so my, my partner, Nathaniel, actually just taught me, what is it called? It's called pa- uh, palindrome. I, I don't remember how, what it's called, but it basically is these studies that the human mind can only actually really focus for like really um, at high, its highest performance for about 25 to 45 minutes at a time. After mm-hmm. that, it drops off. And if you take 
even a couple minute break and then come back, something resets. And so knowing that as a framework, but also approaching it from, you know, when you do take a break, when you disconnect from your work, going to move your body, like stretching and really letting yourself feel the stretch or moving your, you know, your arms, your hips, hip circles are one of my favorite things to do. Mm. I'll do them in between, like when I'm working, if something's uploading, um, it's just like letting my belly, you know, really relax as women. We are just so constantly taught to just suck in. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it literally energetically and physiologically pulls you out of the lower centers of your body. And what that makes your body do and your neuro, your neurology do is puts you into more of a state of fight or flight. And so this ability to actually relax, to actually open, like you're saying, to actually feel like you want to make love at the end of the day, to feel like your sensuality is more open really has to do with getting out of fight or flight. And that go mode's a hunting mode. Mm-hmm. Right? So you want to be able to get out of the hunting mode and just in, experience the really baseline experiences of sensuality. So again, hip circles are perfect for that. Um, I, I actually keep an ostrich feather at my desk <laughs> and I'll just like, I literally will just pet my neck with it and my arms with it and just breathe. I'll keep, I literally keep an ostrich feather and rose spray at my desk. And if I'm like working a lot and need to take a break, I'll sit back, I'll pet myself with the ostrich feather. I'll, you know, spray some rose spray and I'll just let myself relax and enjoy my body for a couple minutes. And it's so simple. And I think a lot of people, you know, when we relate to sensuality, we're relating to it purely based on sex. So we think the act of having sex, the act of penetration is the only thing that sensuality speaks to, but it it isn't like sensuality is the enjoyment of life. And so giving yourself strategic breaks to actually let go, put on some really yummy music, move your body, like let this more flowing life-giving energy start to move through you is a really, really important way to actually, you know, it's, it's like putting in reps, like to exercise again, that's a very masculine way to put it, but it talks to that part of the productive mind, like to exercise, to feed these parts of you that are actually really wanting to let go and enjoy, but you need to give them a space to do that. Um, and so that, those are the first ways that I would say throughout your day are really helpful taking a couple minute breaks and really moving into the sensation of your body, however feels best for you. And that's really the important part because our minds want to just put it on a checklist. We want to be like, okay, I did my you know, morning meditation and then I did yoga and now I'm doing work. Yeah. Lunch. Well being. Isn't that so funny? It's like creating a to-do list out of something that's supposed to take <laughs> you out of your to-do list. Yeah. Well, and exactly. And that's one of the things I notice so much with my clients is they're not, it's not that they're not doing the things like they're meditating and they're doing yoga and they're eating well and they're exercising. And, but the way that they focus on it is exactly in that mindset. And so they don't get to experience themselves at all. And a lot of this experience of, you know, sensuality of deepening into the feminine nature of ourselves means one that we have to let go into, um, you know, really surrendering our guard and, Two, it means that we have to go into the unknown. And so for a lot of us, I think at first that can feel, 
it can feel intimidating. It can feel foreign. It can feel like, you know, it's, it's not based on the part of us that has attained its value and self-worth through overachieving all the time. There's, mm-hmm. there's no like reward that you get for, from the external world for letting go and enjoying yourself. You enjoy yourself for the sake of enjoying yourself. And uh, for a long time at first, I wouldn't say for the, a long time with my clients when I have a lot of one-on-one time with them, but you know, I think for a lot of women, for me, definitely for a long time, it took me really having to work through all of these beliefs of this is not productive. I don't have time for this. Um, there's no point in this. I feel awkward. This is weird. This is like what weird hippies do on a, you know, farm or whatever, you know, like all, whatever kind of beliefs come up, this is too woo. Um, and I had to really sit with them, work through them and maintain and create a level of presence with myself and what I wanted, um, to start to feel comfortable receiving. And I think that's a really big part of it. I think that a lot of us really don't feel comfortable actually receiving. We feel really comfortable giving, taking care of other people, taking care of our clients, taking care of like, you know, whoever we're working for, um, taking care of our partners, but to actually let go and receive, it's actually, it feels unsafe. And so you really have to retrain a part of your mind that's in this place of, of constantly doing in order to protect from being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of the, you know, really being curious, like, who are you under there? Mm-hmm. Because by nature, if a part of you is, is feeling imbalanced, you know, feeling anxiety, feeling depression, feeling overstressed, feeling like you don't want to have sex, you know, all of these things, they're symptoms. And normally in the Western world, we look at them as if, you know, there's something to be fixed or there's something wrong with us. And really, if you look at the natural intelligence, it's just a signal that some part of you wants more attention. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'd read a couple notes that you had sent me before we started recording that really struck me. And for anybody listening, I'm sure it would strike them too. You said symptoms of numbing your intuitive guidance. And you said, I'm busy. I'm overwhelmed. I'm tired. I put others in my professional life in front of my needs. I'm constantly pushing away my anxiety and depression or working to feel better. Softness or sensitivity is a weakness. I can't let my guard down. Like what is going on? Do you think that motivates people to really like kind of go into these stories and what is the payoff of people committing to these beliefs in their lives? Well, you know, so one of the things that when I first learned, so I have a background in hypnotherapy and a lot of different subconscious uh, reprogramming techniques as well as trauma healing. And what that gave me was a framework to see where programming comes from. So there's, there's different levels. Like there's your genetic programming that just comes from your parents and your genetic line. There's, um, your cultural programming that comes from your ancestral, um, kind of background. And, you know, like, like some people may come into the world, like maybe in the U S their first generation. So they're in the culture of the Western world, but they come from maybe an Indian family or like a a family that comes from a different culture. So they're coming in with two different forms of cultural programming, um, depending on who, who's listening to this. So you want to think about those things. And then on top of that, we have the societal programming. So we have really in the West, one of the biggest things to really look at is that we're 
we are a world that defines ourselves based on what we do, not mm-hmm. based on who we are. So that sense of who we are as a role versus who we are as a soul actually makes us put our value <clears throat> outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so instantly, if your value from a young age is put outside of yourself, and this can happen from a lot of different childhood traumas or just, you know, your parents want to do the best for you um, so that they try to make you into a good student. And you think that to achieve their love, you now need to outperform over succeed, like succeed, succeed, succeed. And then they give you some kind of attention um, or as a way to, you know, if you have any kind of like sexual trauma or you feel like, you know, you you're just the world is unsafe for some reason. You're going to do things to protect yourself, to keep yourself busy, to not, you know, pay attention to your internal state in order to protect yourself from being hurt again. Mm-hmm. So being busy, being overwhelmed, constantly feeling tired, constantly putting others' needs in front of you ultimately is a really good safety mechanism. To mm-hmm. not feel like you're going to be abandoned, to not feel like you're going to be left behind, to not feel like you're going to be rejected, to feel like you're still going to be, um, you know, safe in some way in the social hierarchy. But also, you know, if you think about the fact that we've we haven't really been in tribes or not in tribes for you know the time span of how how long humans have been alive, and so mm-hmm. this this nuclear family thing that we're in now pretty new compared to our wiring. And so if your if your programming is holding, well, I'm going to be abandoned. I'm going to be devalued. I'm not going to be wanted by whatever your mind subconsciously is viewing as your tribe, right? Which is your parents, which is your social peers, which is, you know, the world that your culture trained you into, then you're going to feel like you're going to die. Like ultimately, if you got kicked out of a tribe, you didn't have any support. Mm-hmm. And so we don't really realize first and foremost that this is this is super primal baseline mm-hmm. programming. And if you think about sensitivity and softness, which are super incredibly rejuvenating energies, right, that we find so challenged to get into in our culture and don't really praise at all, um, those, those allow for your defenses to drop. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'll go ahead. Sorry. Oh, the last thing I was just going to say is the, I think the first thing to start to address any of this is to know that one, you're underneath all the programming and the patterning, you're a soul. And so you got to get curious about who you are, not what you think you need to do and to be. And that can open so many doors. And then on top of that, starting to um, just starting to see the patterns of that, like just recognizing, oh, I'm doing that thing again. Oh, I'm doing that thing again. I'm, I'm pushing myself past my needs. Oh, I'm getting those symptoms, those signs, those signals where I'm saying I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I need to put everyone's needs before myself that are actually telling me to pay attention to something. And so those, the, that first step of even realizing it's happening is the first step to you having freedom to get out of it. Yeah. And it's so powerful for me to read that 40% of households in the United States, women are the breadwinner winner. Yeah. And the big challenge there is that there's still not that social shift to follow where 
women um, kind of equally distribute the responsibilities of the home with their husband or partner. And it's just so interesting to think about these women going out there working, which is so admirable, and yet coming home and having so many to-dos that are socially acceptable for them not to get that support with, with their partner. And so, like you know, you talked about feminine productivity versus masculine productivity. Um, How would you define feminine productivity? Like, how does it look like? And how would you define masculine productivity? Totally. So again, like it's important for us to remember we each have, we each have both. Um, They're just modes of how energy works. So when I say feminine, men have feminine qualities and women have masculine qualities. And it's really, again, what we're nurturing, how we were brought up and also just our our natural design, what we're kind of drawn to. So when I say feminine productivity, especially when I'm you know, working with potential clients um, and creating content, it's kind of like a Trojan horse of it <laughs> because there it's really starting, it's trying to bring in this frame that, you know, the, the things that rejuvenate us. So again, sensuality, being in the body, caring about like, like mothering nature, caring about the community, receiving, like wanting to be held, wanting to, be nurtured, um, doing things that you enjoy for the sake of pleasure, you know, and, and deeply allowing ourselves to indulge. And we normally think that's a bad word, but it's not like to feel how alive your senses are is extremely feminine and is a huge part of what allows for our systems to actually recharge. Mm-hmm. And, this a huge thing that we're missing, right? And it's also, again, like it allows us to go to sleep at night. It's a, it allows us to um, let go of the tenseness in our body. It allows us to be in a space where our hearts open so we can give and love on all of the people around us. And that also allows for our in, like the higher inspiration, the more artistic, abstract, beautiful parts of life come from your ability to let go and receive the beauty of life. Mm -hmm. And then the more masculine productivity is it's the doing, it's the conquering, it's the overcoming, it's flexing your will in a way that allows for you to, you know, overcome the, the very physical obstacles of life. And it can feel really good too. But the funny thing is when we talk about will, in Chinese medicine, <laughs> they they talk about feminine and masculine will. So they talk about how there's this grunt kind of will that allows for you to, to do and get things done and to overcome and conquer. And they talk about what they call yin will. And they actually talk about how yin will is superior to yang will. And the way that they talk about it is, you know, when, when a flower is blooming and exuding a scent, it doesn't have to move. It attracts animals to it to pollinate it. And in the same way, if a woman walks into a party, she doesn't really have to necessarily do something overt to attract different people to be interested in her. She just exudes this way of sitting in, into her essence, into enjoying the moment that naturally brings these different like men or women or whoever it is to her. And so it's a kind of magnetism 
that we get to experience where things can be brought to us, where we can, again, be in that receptive mode. But that first comes from letting go into the power, surrendering into the power of pleasure, of enjoying the moment, of receiving, nurturing. And then that fills up our cup. And so the reason why I talk about it as being productive is that, you know, it's, it is literally what allows for our system to be filled up and vital. Hey, U-Turners, for this quick interruption, I want to take a moment to say thank you to our incredible sponsors over at SaneBox, an artificial intelligence-powered email tool that has been a game changer for freeing up my time and boosting my productivity. So with more than 200 to 300 billion emails going out per day and over 7 trillion emails going out each year, it's really no secret that email is kind of slowly killing all of us. In fact, recent data shows that more than half of employees feel like their email is killing them, and another study found that almost 50% of the time that managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never been sent to them in the first place or didn't even require their answer. This is where SaneBox comes in. With the press of just one magical button, I've been able to say goodbye to all of those time-wasting emails and hello to my sanity and my schedule again. Seriously, everyone needs them. So when you sign up at sanebox.com slash U-Turn, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N, you'll get 14 days for free and $25 off their super affordable membership if you decide to join and you love it as much as I do. And once you'll do that, you'll be able to easily sign into your current email box. And with a click of the button, you can integrate SaneBox. And I am not very tech savvy, but I've got to admit, this was super easy. And from there, you'll see under your inbox folder and your sent folder, a couple new folder friends. One is going to be called Sane Later, which is pretty much code for spammy emails that you don't need to see. And the other folder you'll see is called the Sane Black Hole, where you can drag and drop emails into both of these folders that you don't want to be subscribed to anymore. Between mailing lists and cold sales emails, I'm at 100 black hole emails per week, such a big time saver, and my sane later box that takes all of these other emails I don't really need in my inbox, I check it once a week or so, and I'm always so pleasantly surprised to see over hundreds and hundreds of emails in there that I never needed to even see. The black hole will use artificial intelligence to get to know you and eventually auto-place emails in there to support your productivity. I check it weekly, like I said, and there's really nothing. I'd have changed. What a gift. It is like a magic trick for your inbox. As I mentioned, head on over now to sanebox.com slash U-Turn. That's S-A-N-E box.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to access 14 days of Sanebox for free, as well as a $25 credit for a serious discount on their super affordable membership. If you're anything like me, you are going to be in love with it. Now let's get back to this week's episode. You talked a little bit about um, lab- like one of the mistakes that we make is labeling ourselves as what we do instead of finding out who we are, you know, like, and I loved your distinction, who we are as a rule versus who are the soul. What are a few steps that people can take who are listening now to get back into who they are as a soul? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I would say the first part is, again, the first part's noticing how identified we are with what we do. 
and just starting to starting to recognize that. So before you can shift gears into self-discovery, there's got to be a question of how you define yourself. So I would ask you like, who are you? And your response to me is all of the things you do. Mm. That's the first thing to, to just to realize like, oh, wow, that's how I'm kind of walking around defining myself all the time. And then really have that question of, well, who am I under what I want other people to see of me? Mm-hmm. Who am I under what I want my parents to see? Who am I under what I want my peers to see or what my partner to see or, you know, what, what is it that I want that's important to me? Mm. And when I say what you want that's important to you, what is it that you want that are, is not dependent on your external achievements? Mm. And that question of what do you want, what do you want in life is one of the most confronting questions that I find when I start working with clients. And I use like you know, three months, four months into doing one-on-one work, that question is still magic because in different situations, when they talk to me and they come to me with like a problem or some kind of issue or something that's up that they're really chewing on or feel uncomfortable and can't get out of me, just directly asking, what do you want right now? Is so confusing and confronting at first because no one ever asked them that. Mm. No one, no one was going, Hey, child who isn't getting paid attention to or held or, you know, having the full floor to just be held and nurtured and receive, like, what do you want right now in this situation? And mm-hmm. so I think that really asking yourself that question, like, are you wanting to be held more? Are you wanting to feel nurtured more? Are you wanting to, um, receive more pleasure are you wanting to like do you actually want to do what you're doing in your life are you really getting fulfillment out of that and if the answer if you're really honest it's self-honesty is the biggest key here if your answer is i don't know or no (laughs) but i have to do this to make ends meet i have to do this because it's what I'm supposed to do, it can be really powerful to say, okay, well, we're just going to play a game. Hypothetically, if you could change what's going on in your life to be able to receive what you want more of, what would that look like? Mm, I love that question. Because that's the thing is like a lot of the things with my clients, it's funny. Like I do, I have a ton of background, so I'm holding a lot of space and I, I know how to navigate really intimate, deep things and crack things open that are under the surface. But what I'm studying is them and their natural intelligence, their natural design. So having that kind of inquiry, line of inquiry, um, I really do believe, you know, in the spirit, the spiritual texts that say like everything is within you. I really do believe that. And so I'm more, I'm not telling them necessarily what to do. I will, I direct, but a lot of the time it's like, I'm having a dual conversation with who they think they need to be and who their personality or ego uh, is in response to the world. And which is, you know, just trying to do its best. And Mm -hmm. then who they are behind that. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I can't help but ask, like, I think a lot of people who, when you say like, what do you actually want? What would really light you up? It's like, number one, a lot of people haven't even thought about that question, but even if they do, they they might feel into how good it's going to feel to be like, well, like when I tune into myself, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm a poet. Like I would love to write poetry every day. But then I start to think, and this is actually kind of ridiculous, but I start to think about how I write better when I have nice surroundings and how I would want to write in a beach house. And then I have to earn my beach house and I have to work. So I think a lot of people (laughs) kind of go back into that loop of like, yeah, I want rainbows and ponies, but like I've got a job to do and a schedule to keep. So it's like, even if we dabble in getting connected to our soul, I think some people have, and, and understandably the belief that by being in your soul, that there might be some sort of loss in your survival. Totally. So what would, what message would you have for those? Well, yeah, I mean, I do think that, you know, it's, it's really tricky and it's amazing too, that you catch the part of your mind that comes in and is like, well, I have to earn that because that's, that's a huge programming. I have to earn my time to rest. I have to earn my time to let go. I have to earn my time to be in enjoyment of life. And the whole, like the lifestyle or what I, I've called in one of my courses, the yin advantage is that when you actually learn to inject that time into your life, it gives you more energy to do the things that allow you to survive and thrive yeah. in the physical world. And so a huge part of that for me is, um, so I, I totally get like wanting the beach house and wanting the surroundings. And it's amazing that you have that goal because it's something that you can continue working towards. But in the meantime, have you set up a place in your environment that is literally just a place for you to go to enjoy? Mm-hmm. So for me, that's um, sometimes I'll be at, like, I have an altar that I've set up with, you know, different crystals and different cards that I can pull. And it's just really beautiful. It's got plants around it. It's got sheepskin rug. And sometimes I'll literally just go, like I'll go into a mode where I put on like a silky robe and I sit at my altar and I read the books that are inspiring to me. Like I really love like Hafiz and different, I love poetry as well. I'm a writer too. And so I'll read the poets that like really inspire me. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just, I'll just have a good you know, half an hour or an hour to write and literally just for myself. Mm-hmm. And when I let go enough to be, you know, be surrounded by my inspiration and be in literally a very physical space that I've created not to work in, mm-hmm. but to connect to this part of myself in the subconscious, my subconscious turns on and gives me access to that part of myself because mm-hmm. I've given it a space to exist in. And the subconscious works in symbols. So if you can create a space and sensations where you can actually, you know, go into that kind of zone of genius for you and it's invited in the environment, which again, these are very feminine qualities like creating the environment, creating the ambiance, creating the invitation. If you do that for yourself, it actually can really allow for, you know, just different moments of these flows to come through. And if you look at your life, you know, it's very easy for the mind to say there's not enough time for that. But if you have to do something for someone else, you know, if tomorrow one of your clients called you and was like, we need to schedule a meeting for like an hour and it's utmost imperative that we do, Mm -hmm. you would figure out a way to make that work, you know? Yeah. And we so rarely do that for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But 
it, there's this whole product, like this whole um, kind of necessity to learn to retrain what we value as being productive. Um, because normally we, you know, we don't see, oh, well, going and writing poetry for an hour, that's, that's not productive. Like I'm not giving that to anyone, but how your energy is going to feel freed mm-hmm. up, how you're going to feel in your body after you start to do things like that, it, it bleeds into everything else. So many other things become effortless because you're feeding a really vital part of you that's actually holding space for everything else behind the scenes. Whereas when you don't do that, you're living in your body really tense. You're living in your body with an endless to-do list that your subconscious is always tracking is never done. And that just creates so much of this anxious fight or flight in the body. So it's, it really has to be a retraining. I think ultimately when we look at the system that we're in, we know that something's off, but it takes a certain level of wanting to change it and committing to a space of inner mastery to go, look, I'm going to reclaim my own space, my own energetic sovereignty from this thing that's running me down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also, um, you talk a lot about connection to the body and I think, um, that that's feels almost like intimidating. I think for a lot of people, like for me, I go in and out of feeling totally connected to my flow and sensuality. But one thing has been true. It's for me that I need a lot of space and time um, to feel that. Or if, if my schedule is jam packed and I'm in productivity mode, it's like, I don't feel my body. I don't feel if I want to be sexual or not. I don't feel my sensuality, my connection to the the universe to, you know, like I, I feel pretty connected to people. I feel pretty connected to my intuition. Like I hear a lot of guidance all the time, but I think, you know, you were talking about natural integrated feminine leadership coming from the place of depth of intimacy with your feelings, your sensitivity and your softness. And yet as an entrepreneur, I am, and I'm just having fun playing devil's advocate with you, but I, um, I I am, there are so many situations. Like for example, we've got 7,000 people who have done our online courses and there's always like a conversion rate of trolls. So it's like, you know, for every like hundred buyers, maybe there's one troll that just like doesn't want a refund for $19 or something like that. And they send a long email about it. And it puts me into this, um, not defensiveness, but like, all right, I got to put my armor on and I got to get out into the world. And like, there's no time in this email for my intimacy of my feelings, my sensitivity, my softness. So what recommendations do you have for people to kind of like move more gracefully in and out of both energies? Cause I know both of them are so important, masculine and feminine. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question because again, like as soon as you talk about that email triggering, there's that sense of that fight or flight response that can come online, right? Which is the fight, like putting the armor on and going in. Yeah. And I think the the reason why I talk about this as an art form and as a lifestyle is because it takes time implementing different approaches to different circumstances. So with something like that, or if, you know, I think it's really good for everyone that's listening, like, look at your life. Are there certain specific things that you know, like what Ashley just said, that trigger you into that mode where you feel like you got to guard and you got to brace against something. Mm. And whatever those are for you, it may be talking to someone specific. It may be something you have with certain authority figures or certain people on teams or whatever it is. A lot of the time, the bracing is coming from 
a feeling that you have to protect some part of yourself. And especially when that's a course you've created or, you know, people are trolling you, things like that. Of course, it's going to register as having to protect a part of you because that's something that you created, like as far as the course goes. Mm-hmm. But the way to start to, to go into it instead of having armor is to, and what I would say is practice closing your eyes and breathing in your body. The, mm-hmm. One of the main ways that we disconnect from feeling safe or yeah, we disconnect from feeling safe is to tense and we eject, we literally eject from our body. Mm-hmm. And one of the most powerful ways to reconnect is your take your hands, put them like on your hips, put them on your womb and just breathe a couple deep breaths into the belly and like mm-hmm. as deeply into the belly as you can. And just sometimes I'll put a hand on my heart. Sometimes I'll put a hand on my room and I'll just do some really deep breaths back and forth for a couple minutes from, and it can even be a minute, like it doesn't have to be that long as, as long as you're deepening into your body mm-hmm. from the womb up to the heart, heart down to the womb, just this kind of centering. I'm here. I've got you. I'm with you. This doesn't mean anything about you. Mm-hmm. We're just going to approach this situation from a place of presence and things may hit, but this doesn't mean anything about you. Mm. And mm-hmm. so that sounds really nice and great, but it takes practice. Um, it takes practice to go into this kind of mode. And I have, um, and I'm sure you can link this in your podcast, but I have some links to some free hypnotherapy sessions and practices and breath practices on my site that people can download and really like use them as trainings because the way that you put yourself back into these states of being able to relax, being able to reprogram how d- certain situations trigger you means that you, you know, you got to practice them a few times, similar to if you want to get good at push-ups, you practice doing push-ups. And so I would say that's, that's a really important part of it as well as, um, and so, so then this, the thing that takes a lot of time, you can actually start to really every day have practices where it doesn't take as much time at all to get into those states. I have a client who um, looking at her schedule used to freak her out, you know, Mm -hmm. and creating time in her schedule used to freak her out. And now when we approach her schedule, there's much more of a space in between her and her schedule. Mm. Where before it was like, she was her schedule. (laughs) Yeah, totally. She wasn't running it. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Exactly. And um, kind of talking about like disconnecting from flow and sexuality. I know a lot of people right now, they have partners and they're, they're just feeling so disconnected. Like, do you have any practical tools or thoughts on how somebody can kind of transition out of their workday and back into their home? Oh, yes. That's such a good question. If this was something that I could like blast on every single radio, news, TV, internet station, I would, because women have so much power in this, but we really just, again, if you don't have the tools or the knowledge, then it's, we just default into autopilot. Um, So the first thing is rituals are really important. So being like being able to go, okay, I am no longer in work mode. I'm transitioning out of work mode, having some kind of symbolic way to do that. So even if it's just 
closing your computer and taking three deep breaths. Again, that sounds super simple, but it's you're transitioning out of a certain mode. You're actually telling your subconscious, we are now leaving. We're now exiting (laughs) workflow. And then for me, a really big part of it is actually, again, sensuality. So what sensuality gets you into the body, it's literally the senses. And if you can go like, when you go home, do have like a really silky, yummy, like something that you can change into that's super comfy, that feels really good for you, that you feel really good wearing, not for anyone else, not for your partner. I mean, your partner's going to love it either way. But for you, you know, transitioning into like what you're wearing, um, you know, letting your hair down, but being really present when you do these things. Um, And this actually gives me another question is just like, let's say that two people work from home. It's like, how do you create that sensuality alive? Because I know, you know, like with coronavirus, for example, and I'm sure that by the time this airs, I hope that it will be over. Um, but like it's i think a lot of people have spent this year working from home with their partner or with their kids or whatever and they wake up and in my case i have a puppy downstairs so i'm thinking like all right any cute outfit and like me doing <laughs> my makeup is like out the window like this totally. puppy, like you know and so um this cute little thing um is is a part, such a big part of my focus like how do people kind of maintain themselves when also tending to these daily needs? Yeah, again, like it, it really does work with um, finding like allotting a little bit of time for it. So at the beginning with deepening into sensuality and really sensuality being a key for turning from the work mode into the receiving mode, letting go of the relaxation, it can really just at the beginning be five minutes that you can find for yourself to... Um, to really have connection to your sensation. So I would say like, you know, making sure, of course, in your schedule, some people have kids, some people have puppies, some people have puppies and kids. Like there's, there's a lot of uh, things to respond to, but if you can allot or find time for yourself to kind of, you know, just have five, 10 minutes where you're sitting by yourself and it's fully focused on you, it can make so much of a difference. And if you can do it in the morning, it's really amazing if you can do it in the evening, but it's just about you. So a lot of the time we think about connecting to our sensuality or sexuality for a partner. And of course we do because we want to have that space with them. But what people often miss is cultivating it with yourself in a place that feels safe and in a way where it's innocent. It's not dependent on, um, you know, how you show up. It's not dependent on you performing in a certain way. Again, that's the masculine kind of version of looking at things. It's much more in the sense of like, am I experiencing pleasure? So Mm -hmm. even if it's going like the dog's out, like running around in the yard for like five minutes and I have some time to myself, especially if you have, you know, your own room, turning on some music. Again, like I really suggest getting something that's really soft. So like ostrich feathers are what I use with my clients a lot um, because they're just super soft and silky and having like some basic essential oils. And when I talk about self-pleasure, it's not from a place of like a lot of people think about that and they think masturbation. I'm talking about like, if you really take the time to put like a really soft feather or fur on your arm 
and you're listening to music and something smells really, really good and is allowing your nervous system to relax and you're just enjoying the sensation. And that might take you a couple of minutes to really get into, but if you can really, you know, if you can really just relax into it and allow yourself to feel the sensation of what's happening, you'll start to, your energy will literally start to open a lot more. Now, if you are someone who's gone through like a lot of um, sexual trauma or even been in a lot of like accidents or chaotic situations when you were young, it may take a little longer to, you know, allow yourself to let go and allow yourself to feel. But the importance of this practice is much more from a very innocent childlike space of, wow, this just feels really good. And I think a lot of the time we like that is not something that equates to having value. It's not something that equates to being productive. But oftentimes the reason why that is, is because having that kind of space when we were kids was not something our parents thought of as being productive. Our parents didn't have time to give us affection. Our parents didn't have time to just give us the nurturing love that we needed. And so what happens is our minds are like, I don't have time for that. But the truth is, again, like, if you really, really look like when I give my clients, you know, if if someone's paying me and they're like, wait, I don't have time for that. And I'm like, but you're paying me to tell you that part of this is something you do have time for. And we're going to find a place to make time for it. Because I'm telling you that when you start to do this, so many other things will change. And it's not very obvious. They actually start reconnecting with a much more, I call it erotic innocence, but it's really just like... (laughs) sensual, sensual innocence, like from, you know, little kids love being touched Mm. for the sake of being touched. Like it's not erotic for them. It just feels good. Just like cats love being pet. The animal part of ourselves loves this kind of sensual nurturing. Mm -hmm. And until we make time for that, until we value that as something that in its very simple act is something that is important for us. And the mind, by the way, doesn't want to make this important because the mind has to let go and the mind hates letting go. Uh But it's such a good way to let the mind let go because it's something that's physical and stimulating the nervous system as well to calm down. Um, Until we actually see that as important, then we're going to be stuck in our heads. We're not going to feel like being safe in our body is productive. And so the way that I frame it is make time for it as if it was the most important productive thing you could do and then go into it from a space of um, innocence and curiosity and exploration Mm -hmm. because it's really, it's building intimacy with yourself Mm. and the way that our culture is structured, intimacy with yourself isn't valued. Yeah. And so it's, it's, you got to reclaim it. You know, you got to, you, you kind of have to have a warrior mode with it where you're like, I am taking this back for myself. Like I did not get this from my society and mm-hmm. I, I am cre- I'm choosing to create a space where I'm important. My needs are important. My body is important. I'm going to learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This has been so awesome. I know everybody's probably going to go to your website and get those hypnosis. Um, is there somewhere else that people can follow you and learn from you? Yeah. Instagram is a great way. Um, it's what I'm on a lot. Facebook I'm on as well, not as much. And then there's a lot of 
um, links to different practices. A lot of my content speaks to this in many different ways and more of the, you know, the deeper psychological things coming at it from different angles and different tools that, that can really help you to overcome these things. So thank you again. Hey, U-Turners, this episode is sponsored in part by our friends over at Organifi. And just for a second, I want to tell you about yet another one of my absolute favorite products they have. It's their gold powder. This golden powder tastes like the holidays. It's a nice, cinnamony, comforting taste packed with ingredients like turmeric, ginger, reishi mushrooms, which help you chill out, lemon balm, prebiotics, which are so necessary for your gut health, and even some magnesium, which can be so helpful for a better sleep. As soon as the afternoon slump tempts me, I like to pour myself some nut milk with gold powder into my favorite mug, and that is just the best way I can take care of myself instead of having another cup of coffee. And its superfood blends just make it so easy for me to add more variety and nutrition into my day. So if you'd like to give the gold powder a try over at Organifi, I can't recommend it enough. Head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And make sure you use that U-Turn checkout code for 20% off. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.